All right, you guys ready to go home, face, face a Monday morning? <laughs> Not yet. Oh, man. Yeah, how many kids are excited to go back to school tomorrow? That's not true. <laughs> oh, man, it's been an amazing time together. What a great night last night, wasn't it? Um, and just, man, the time of worship together and a time of prayer that was in here for a while afterwards last night was a, was a sweet time. You know, sometimes it's hard at men's conference, you know, when you see men crying and there's something within us that just doesn't feel right. And yet, I always say God loves crying men because often it's a sign of brokenness and God loves broken hearts. And, uh, you know, and it's... Uh, yeah, it's just a, just a really neat thing. So it's been, uh, been a pleasure to, to be with you guys and to be able to open God's Word uh, this weekend. has been great for me personally just to be back at Hume. And, and even though I'm kind of preparing these messages and, and doing this, for me, it's always just a sweet, special time as well. Um, just, man, when I got here on Friday afternoon and went and sat down in one of those red chairs by the lake, I don't know, there's something about it. You look up at those mountains. How many of you guys have done that, right? And you, you go out there and you do that and you just... Breathe in deep, and you just go, God, just, just fill me up this weekend. And um, man, I think one of the best things ever is there's no cell phone service up here, and I pray they never get cell phone towers up here because it is so good just to be able to walk around and uh, not stumble over your phone the whole time, right? And just to be here and to not be distracted and uh, to get away. And Hume is a special place. Um, you know, what's amazing is Hume started... Uh, with, I think, about five guys back in the 40s. My grandpa started his business in 1945, and I think in 19, right around that same time that my grandpa was loading up ammo in his garage, kind of setting forth his dream, there were five men that began to pray about what God could do in this little place called Hume Lake, some dinky little lake up in the mountains. And those men prayed, and God put a calling on their life. And I believe in 1946, this ministry started. And I can't, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people have come through this place since and experienced much of what you had this weekend because what God did in those five minutes. I think about ministry starting. I think about churches starting. You know, we just planted a church and we've kind of been going through that. And I, I think about, man, what would have happened if those five guys ignored God's call? What would have happened if they went, man, you know what? I don't know. We got jobs back down the valley. We got other things like this is too much work. What would have happened if, uh, you know, I was meeting with the executive director of Hume this morning or CEO or whatever he's, he's called, Dathan, and I was meeting, I, I thought, what would have happened if the, the staff were just thrown in their towel these last couple years when, when things are tough? But praise God for his faithfulness of people following God's call in their lives that we get to be here. And so when I speak to a group of men, 400 men, or how many are here, I don't just think about you, but I think about the calling that God's placed on your life in your areas of community, and I think about the thousands and thousands of people that are impacted because of maybe something God's calling you to do. Maybe like he did those five men, and maybe it's, a, sure, it's starting a Bible study in your church. Maybe it's volunteering for something. Maybe right now your calling is your family. But if I were to ask you that today, what is your call? How would you answer that? And as we close this weekend, I want to talk about that, of course, with one last superhero quote, and that's from Thor. Yes, Thor, the fate of your planet rests not in the hands of gods. It rests in the hands of mortals. So deep, Thor, so deep. <laughs> but it's true. Well, first of all, there isn't gods. There's only one. The guy's mistaken. But second, the fate of your planet, your communities, your homes rests in the hands of mortals. 
Because last time I checked, we're God's plan A, which is pretty scary when you look around this room, isn't it? <laughs> God's called us to go, <laughs> to go back. The fate of your planet, the fate of your community, the fate of your church, the fate of this world lies in the hands of you and of me. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, God's call on our lives. Because here's the thing, we could leave this weekend and it could be about us. And coming off of the last couple years, a lot of what we feel we need to do as men is to go into protector mode. I'm going to protect my families. I'm going to protect truth. The things that we've been talking about, all noble and great things. We think about how we need to be strong and we need to be courageous. But what that tends to do is create sometimes a thing that we just set up almost like a bunker in our life. And I, I'll tell you what, I know people are, uh, are, are preparing for doomsday because I'm well aware of ammo sales across the world. I, I have an inside look to that. And I'm here to tell you, everybody's mad at us that we're not making enough ammo. It's not my fault. It's your fault. You're hoarding it. I know you are. I know you are. My sales tell me so. And so there's this mentality, though, not just with ammo, but it's obviously with everything that I'm, I'm seeing. In fact, we have so many people moving from other states out to Wyoming right, into the wide open free lands, and uh, we'll see if they make it through two winters, but they're out there, and part of the reason is they're trying to escape it, and so they're coming out there with their families, and they're coming to our church, and we have to constantly remind them that, guys, this church isn't to be these closed walls, we're not to be this church bunker where we just kind of hoard up in the free little land of Wyoming and pretend like the world isn't a mess anymore and just live for ourselves so that we protect ourselves from the world. Last I checked... The people that God calls, it's to go out. It's to go out. And that's why one of my pastor friends that's here uh, this weekend, uh, who was, I was talking to, said, yeah, you know, these people are, are moving out of state, and, and they're going different places, and they're trying to seek refuge, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, wherever we go, we're to reach other people, and God's called us for that purpose because the fate of the world lies in the hands of mere mortals like us. You know, we've been uh, doing a lot of fishing this weekend. The best fishing story ever is kind of in the book of Jonah because, um, because instead of Jonah catching a fish, a fish catches him. It's kind of an interesting fish story, right? And we're, I'm sure, familiar with the, you know, Jonah and the great fish. And, and that, that'd be the story of like all ones are like, yeah, I caught a 23-inch rainbow once. And people are sitting around and he's like, oh, yeah, I, I hung out for three days in the belly of a fish. <laughs> Like, that would just be like, okay, mic drop, like the fish story of all fish stories. But what did God do in, in Jonah 1.1? 1, 1, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. It wasn't Jonah, stay in the nation of Israel and do your thing and, and, and put up walls and just keep building bigger walls. But he calls Jonah to go into a city of several hundred thousand people where they burnt and killed people that believed what he believed, God's people. And yet God calls him to go there. Now, uh, Jonah didn't do so hot on, on his obedience story, did he? And so he ran, as we, we know that story, and that's why the fish came and, and ate him up. But if you think about, and he ended up, God will have his way, by the way. <laughs> we find that in the book of Jonah. God will have his way, and he uses us, and sometimes he steers us in some interesting directions. But you look at the story of Moses, and Moses has that experience too. He gets before the burning bush, and God doesn't say, hey, go, you know, what, what does he say? He says, go. Go lead my people. Go tear Pharaoh to let my people go. He puts a call on his life. Throughout scripture, you see that. And what about you? What's a call mean for you? What does it mean when God calls us 
to something. I know for me, like I look at my life and for a long time I thought, well, God called me to ministry because I showed up to a church parking lot, went into a church office and got a church paycheck. So that was God's call in my life. You know, and then when, when God called me out of full-time church ministry back into my family business, one of the big things that were, was on my heart is, wait, is God's call changing for my life just because my paycheck comes from a different place? Or am I am, am, am I am, <laughs> am I who I am because of who God's made me and what he's called me to do regardless of where I show up to work? Because my thinking is probably most of you don't collect a paycheck from a church. Does that mean God only has a call on the pastor and you just show up once a week, drop a little money in the tithe plate, get a little encouraging message and go home? I don't think so. You don't get out that easy. I know God doesn't let me get out that easy, so I'm going to tell you the same thing. God's got a call on our life in different ways. And, and, and in, in, in Chronicles, actually, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God's looking for people who are committed to him and to be ready to be used by him. And I think sometimes we think this call on our lives means it's got to be some big grand thing and rather than just being committed to him and following his lead every day. I was telling a guy after chapel yesterday morning as we were talking about doing hard things and sometimes like the routes that we get when we were talking about those straight paths. And, you know, I remember when I was a, a high school youth pastor, a lot of times young people be so torn over what to do after high school right? You, you got to grow up and you got to go do something, right? Am I going to go this school, that school, military, live in my dad's basement for 10 years? What am I going to do, right? And sometimes it'd be like, oh, should I go to this school or should I go to this school? Should I go to the junior college? Should I go to the university and everything? What's God's will? What's God's call in my life? God's call in your life is you'd be fully committed to him because his eyes range throughout the earth looking for that. So if you go to the university of this or the junior college of this or this trade school or go get a job when you're 18, I don't know if God's like, you chose that school. <laughs> Can't believe it. He just wants you to be committed to him. And when you're there, he wants to use you to bring other people into his kingdom. It doesn't matter where we are, where we get a paycheck, what our title is. And as men, we're known, you know, often by the jobs that we do, you know, what do you do for a living and all those different things. If you're a plumber, electrician, or a pastor, or a CEO, or you work at a fast food restaurant, that doesn't matter. What matters is, is your heart fully committed to him. You know, the disciples, they got a call. And the best ones are all those fishermen who were up on the Sea of Galilee. And they were fishermen. And so Jesus takes them, and what does he do? He calls them to be fishers of men. He kind of takes their occupation and their call and kind of flips it upside down, right? In Matthew 4, verse 18, I'm just kind of reading a bunch this morning. You can sit back and listen or try to flip along if you want. But in Matthew 4, 18, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. I actually got a chance to go there with a bunch of Hume youth pastors in 2011. And we got to go on the Sea of Galilee to Tabga, where they believe is this place Jesus was walking on the North Shore. And literally, he's there. They're out in the fishing boats. And he just calls out to them. He sees these two brothers, Peter, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for their fishermen. He said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And here's the important part of the call. At once, they left their nets and followed him. 
Going on from there, they saw two other brothers, James and John, all these things. They got in their boat, and immediately, immediately, they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. He became their rabbi, their leader. And for the next three years, their call was to just walk around and absorb Jesus. Why? Because Jesus had a bigger plan. It wasn't just for those three years, was it? Jesus knew what was going to happen. He gets three years with these guys. And so they walked and they got to see him heal people and raise people from the dead and multiply the food and, the, you know, all the different things. And he, they got to see all of that. And so their call was to follow Jesus and be a disciple then. But even for them, the calling was bigger than that. And for some of us, we think, oh, we, we get called to follow Jesus. And that just means we get into church, we speak churchy language, we read our Bible, and we do good things. And the disciples probably thought that for three years Oh, my call is just to, to follow Jesus, and we walk around, and we're his disciples, and we help serve the bread when he multiplies it. That's what we do. But then the call got deeper because the call in our life just to follow him and to be involved in this church community and go to church is the first step, absolutely, and it was for the disciples as well. But all of a sudden, their call got a little fuzzy when their chief rabbi, the leader, the person they followed, gets arrested and sentenced to death. And all of a sudden, they're like, uh-oh. You know what the disciples did when Jesus died? Pew! Whoa, where'd you guys go? Oh, Jesus, I'll die for you. What'd Peter do? Uh, Jesus who? I'm sorry, Jesus Christ? Well, who was that? I, I, I don't know. They left. But Jesus wasn't done with them yet, was he? Because even Jesus comes back after he rises from the dead and he spent a handful of days, well, 40 days or however long it was, that he was on the earth before he ascended to heaven. And at the end of the Gospels, we find that Jesus went along the shore again and he finds Peter and he finds the guys and they're out fishing again. They'd gone back to fishing. I don't know if you remember that, but they went back to fishing. Jesus had died. He's like, hey guys, uh, still here. I just conquered death. And Peter gets off the boat, swims in. They do a little fire on shore. They roast some hot dogs and marshmallows or whatever, and they're hanging out with Jesus on the shore, and that's when he gives Peter yet another call. You remember that part? What does he tell him to do? Feed my sheep. To feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Tells him three times. How many times did Peter deny him? Three times. He wasn't done with Peter. And that's the thing about your call, by the way. He's not done with you. You're not done until you're dead. That's the good news. Because the fate of the world lies in the hands of mortals like Peter. Peter was a failure. Denied Jesus Christ. Superhero disciple denied Jesus Christ. And yet God wasn't done with him. Sure, there may be things, as we talked about yesterday, disqualify you from certain things in ministry or whatever because the things you've done, and that's, there are consequences for our actions. Right? There's just things you got to own. As men, we got to own things. There are consequences for our choices. Wish it wasn't that way. Kind of is. But at the same time, God calls us, and he recalls Peter, actually, to continue to lead then his church. And so as the story goes, they go up to the Mount of Olives, got to spend some time there, which was really cool, too. And then all of a sudden, they get to say goodbye to Jesus again. The first time was as he gets hauled off to be killed, and the second time was as he ascends into the sky. The second one, probably a little more exciting. Peace out, you know, just like, what? He goes up to heaven, but he did promise him, by the way, I'm going to be back to this place. I'm coming back. 
And he gave him some commands in Matthew chapter 28. What does he tell him to do? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them you know, to obey all that I've commanded you. He gives them that. And then in Acts 1.8, he tells them this same thing right before he leaves. He says, go be my witnesses, right? In all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So when they left, the disciples didn't retire. They didn't get their like disciple 401k program, matching program that Jesus had going on and get the beach house on the Sea of Galilee and just chill and relax and go, whew, heck of a three-year career, guys. And sit back and tell stories. Oh, remember that one demon-possessed situation? And the, Jesus put the demons in the pigs and they went off the cliff and they're sitting around drinking a cold one on the Sea of Galilee. No, it wasn't over. They didn't retire, did they? Jesus leaves. And in, in Acts chapter 2, <laughs> Jesus had promised that the Spirit was going to come. They didn't know what that was. The Spirit. They knew God in the flesh as a man, which is, yeah, we could just sit there and just have a moment of silence for an hour and think about that. But Jesus was there, and they're like, no, no, I'm, I'm sitting in the Spirit. The Spirit? Yeah, He's going to come. Okay, he's going to encourage you and he's going to convict you. And he goes through in the book of John in 15, 16, 17, you get all the things that the spirit is going to come and do. And the disciples are like, okay, we'll just wait then. And so in Acts chapter two, at the very beginning, the disciples are in separate room. And the spirit descends. And when it descended, they go, oh. And so we have this beginning of Acts chapter two situation where the Holy Spirit comes. And that's where you get this speaking in tongues thing at the beginning and they're preaching and people are hearing and people are interpreting and people are coming to know the Lord. And it's all this crazy stuff at the beginning of Acts chapter two. And it's crazy. And the disciples are like, what do we do now? And in one of my favorite Peter moments is actually in Acts chapter two, uh, I believe it's verse 14. Because all this crazy stuff's going on, and they're like, I think the disciples had a little too much last night. Things are going a little nutty. But Peter realizes, wait a minute. Oh, feed my sheep. Wait, my call's not done. Feed my sheep. What does that mean? And in verse 14 of Acts chapter 2, it says, Then Peter stood up, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. I love those first few words. Then Peter stood up. In the midst of chaos, God puts a call on his life that had already been there to be a fisher of men, to feed my sheep. Jesus is now gone in the flesh. The spirit comes down. Then Peter stood up. He addressed the crowd, preaches the first sermon of the early church. Thousands of people give their life to the Lord and are baptized, and the church begins at that moment because Peter obeyed the call. Could have been killed for it, but Peter stands up and create what perhaps is the biggest movement in all of humanity, the church of Jesus Christ as we know it today. Just like those five men maybe in 1946 for Hume, that they stood up and said, man, I have this vision and this dream of this place. And, and all these students coming up here and young people hearing these things, Peter said, look, here's what I know. And he goes into the, really the gospel in Acts chapter 2, and you could read through it later if you'd like, and read through that sermon that he preached 
And it was a movement. You know, there's been movements throughout humankind. You know, you have the civil rights movement, and, you know, you might have Martin Luther King, and you have these different people that stood up at these moments within history and created movements. And I think, what movements is God calling us to be a part of, to obey, to listen to, and to start? Movements in our communities and things that he's calling us to do, rather than to go be this refuge back in the corner and create our church bunker stuff and to be safe and to shelter our kids and to do this. Where is he calling us to go? What movements is he calling us to be a part of? What opportunities is he giving us? But the thing is, if we're not listening to the voice of God, it's tough to hear the call, isn't it? It's tough to hear. And usually when I hear the call, it's kind of a lot of times in hindsight when I'm like, ah, I think God was kind of calling me to do that and go talk to that person and to probably love them. But I kind of didn't because I was a little bit lazy. I was a little bit self-centered. I had to be somewhere else. I had something else in my mind. Because really, sure, Peter preached that sermon, but the early church started with relationships, didn't it? When you read the end of Acts 2 and the end of Acts 4, they, they were just meeting together in homes and they were breaking bread and devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. And they were just devoting themselves in home. And it had to have been relationships. I don't think it was social media posts that were getting people to go to church. I don't think it was the marketing campaign of the church. I don't think it was the exciting preaching of you know, the pastors. I mean, we know Paul killed a guy because he was so... He bored people to death in the middle of the night preaching. A guy fell out a window and died, and he had to go raise him from the dead. That's a cool church right there. She's like, I'm coming back next week. It wasn't the preaching. It wasn't all those things. It had to have been what God was doing in the lives of people, and they just couldn't help but just overspill what was going on in their lives with the people around them. So as they walked around, and they were going down to the marketplace, and they were buying a loaf of bread, and they're like, man, we're meeting in my home, and it's, God's doing some amazing things in our lives. He's transforming our lives. Would you want to join us on Friday night? Our church that we started and shared in one of our core values is authentic relationships, and so that it's not this kind of, you know, come and see, but it's a go and tell. I think we've left it here in recent years, and with the, you know, ever since we have projectors and microphones and LED screens, gosh, that thing's bright and cool, by the way, and since we've had all these things, it's easy for us just to leave the work up to the paid church staff to do their thing. I know that the church that we've planned, we just were like, look, we may end up having all those big, shiny things, but that's not the core what the church is. It's about, you know, when my neighbor got stuck in the snow a few weeks ago in April, true story, he moved from California to have BMW. Um, <laughs> And I'm getting him out, and then I'm talking to him, and God puts it on my heart to just let him know about my church, and he kind of passed it off, but then two weeks later, he showed up, and he's been the last three weeks in a row, right? It's those type of things that, that that's what God's calling us to do, just little things. What things do we miss, though? Because for that opportunity there, I probably ignored God with the 10 people before that, right? That's why I have a Land Cruiser with a winch and everything, is to invite people to church, pull them out of ditches in Wyoming. <laughs> I remember there was a time a few years ago that, that uh, a number of years ago when I was back at Tascadero at ABC, and the guy that I talked about yesterday morning who ended up dying of cancer a few years before he died, he was speaking at a men's, uh, a men's event down at the church, and there's big barbecue, kind of like yesterday, you know, type of thing, because as you know, it's how you get guys to come to events. Um, you'd start smoking something, and uh, meat, that is. <laughs> Look, I'm from Wyoming. I don't have the same kind of humor as you guys out here in California, okay? Um, uh, so many things I'm thinking that I just shouldn't say, so I'm going to move on. But, um, but uh, I remember I was driving down to that event, and, uh, 
And on the way there, I saw a couple homeless guys off to the side. They had their sleeping bags and all their stuff, and I passed by them there about a mile from the church. We had a lot of homeless people kind of hung out by our church down there, right, guys that, that are from there. And I remember going down there, and all of a sudden, God just went, you need to go get those guys and bring them down to the church event and barbecue because Dan Owens is speaking, and he's going to preach the gospel. You know that, Adam, so go get those guys. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> I just kept driving. It was the longest mile of my life, and pretty soon my car just did a 180 before I knew it. I'm driving back there, and I'm like, eh, this could end bad. Before I knew it, I had these two homeless guys in the car with their sleeping bags and everything they owned. I pull up to church, and everybody's like, well, Adam's got some new buddies, big backpacks and sleeping bags. <laughs> these guys ate like seven cows apiece at the tri-tip barbecue. And then afterwards, they went in the kitchen to ask if there were leftovers, and they got gallon-sized Ziplocs, and they put them in their backpacks. And then we go into the main, uh, main uh, you know, worship center. I remember at the end, Dan preaches. I remember looking around. I thought they were just going to eat and run. And they stay there. I remember at the end, they gave a call to who wants to follow the Lord, because Dan would always give a call at the end. And, you know, it was everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, but I was a pastor at the time. Pastors are allowed to peek, and so uh, it's in the Bible. And so uh, I remember looking over, and, and I was peeking. I'm like, sure enough, both their hands went up. Look, it could have been because they thought they'd get more free meat. I don't know. I don't know. Never got to see those guys afterwards. I think they were transient, and they are moving through the community. But I went home that night, and I went, how many times have I passed by and ignored the voice of the Lord in a relational aspect? Because I can tell you that instance because it ended well, and it feels good for me to tell you that one, but I can't remember the amount of times in my life where I've done that and just ignored the call. So Peter preaches his sermon, and they give their life People start giving their life to the Lord, and it happens. And You know, it's risky, and it's, it's dangerous sometimes, and it might cost you a little bit of time. I don't think it costs as much as it did the people of the early church. Because we can make fun of the disciples and say how they scattered after Jesus died, but look in church history, and you find out how pretty much all the disciples died. And uh, wasn't living a long life in their retirement community on the Sea of Galilee. It was getting killed. And yet sometimes God puts a call in our life and it's too inconvenient. Hudson Taylor, the great old missionary, said, unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. Hebrews 10.39 says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back. We got a missionary we supported in the inner city. His name is Bob Engel. We support him for years and years as a church. Still do, right, guys? You guys still support Bob. And and a uh, great friend, and he did, was an inner-city missionary for years down in Fresno. He was in L.A., up in the Bay Area. He's back east now. And uh, he just felt called to the inner city. And he was a short, skinny, white dude at an early age in his 20s, and God called him. Actually, he was in Kansas City, I think, the early part of his career. And at the end of Bob's emails, on every email, he'd have Hebrews 10.39. It'd say, Bob Engel, Hebrews 10.39, but we do not belong to those who shrink back. And Bob was the kind of guy, because I'd walk through some sketchy areas, I'd be in Skid Row in L.A. with him, and we'd, go to the, we'd bring youth groups down there and do this homeless karaoke, and, you know, my win was if I brought all the high schoolers home to their parents, like, you know, we made it out, it was good, which we did, bad at a thousand on that, but uh, I remember being down there with Bob, and he'd just tell me stories, oh, I was down here one day, and I saw a pimp beating up this one girl, and so I went up and started yelling at him, like, Bob, you did? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did that over here, shoot him away, and we went and loved on this lady. I'm just like, wow. God would just call him daily 
that he would look for those opportunities. I remember there was once he said, yeah, you know, sometimes I pull into a parking lot and I park as far away as I can from the grocery store. I'm like, I don't. I like hope there's no handicap sign in the best spot. <laughs> he said, that way I just got this long walk to begin to think about as I go into the store who I'm going to talk with and who I'm going to pray with. We'd go to Home Depot on a missions trip and be like, where's Bob? We're supposed to get this construction elements to build this new church or something. There's Bob in aisle seven talking to some guy in an orange apron about Jesus. It's those kind of guys that I look at and I go, man, it doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what your career is. God's called each and every one of us. Peter didn't shrink back. Jonah did. Now, Jonah ended up in Nineveh. And what ended up happening? Even against his will, you know what happens? God chooses to use mortals, but guess what? He gets his way either way, right? You start to read, and what happened with Nineveh, they repented. God was made known. He was lifted up. And in the end, this is what this is all about. It's not about us and the size of our church and the amount of people we can pack into an auditorium. It's not about the quality of the music. It's not about the quality of the preaching. It's about making God known. It's about making much of him. The Apostle Paul said in uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 20 and 22, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me, the prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, and those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So are you ready? Are you ready for God's call on your life? Let's not leave it up to the professionals. Because the fate of the world is left to mere mortals of which each and every one of us are. And you may think, you know what? Sometimes God calls me to things that are, just seem too difficult, a task. And maybe it's calling you to love somebody in your life right now, and you're like, they're really unlovable. God's grace is what makes up the difference between our capability and our calling. God's grace is what makes up the difference between our capability and our calling. Remember Superman's quote from yesterday, right? More powerful than we think we are. Man, they're quick up there. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? You think, well, I don't know. Adam, I don't know. God's called me to do some stuff, and it seems too hard. Perfect. Perfect. Try going to Nineveh with 600,000 people that'll roast you on a steak. Jonah thought the same thing. Talk about Acts chapter 2 when Peter stands up and preaches that sermon. He didn't know what the heck he was doing. He didn't have a seminary degree either, did he? You think, well, I'm not qualified enough. I'm reminded of John chapter 9 when Jesus heals the blind man. And what does the blind man do? They all come and they go, who is this Jesus? Who, you know, who do you think he is? And they ask him all these questions. And what does he say? I don't know. I just know one thing. I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. Where are your credentials? Where's his credentials? Who is he? Guys, I only know one thing. I was blind, and now I see. Can you imagine the testimony of his life? All those people that Jesus healed, I always wonder, what were their lives afterwards? 
That would have been a cool sequel book of just this book of going, where, you know, where's, like, let's talk about Lazarus. Guys, I was dead. Let's talk about the girl who was dead. Let's talk about the people who go, so how did it work with the loaves and fishes? What was that, in, you know, your thing? Or you interview Peter or something? You do a whole podcast series on it, right? So there I was. I stepped off the boat, and the water was like concrete. It's like, whoa. Like, how cool would that be? Because for them, they didn't know all these things. They just knew God did something in my life, and he transformed my life. And that's where the call begins. And for you guys, and, and for me, and for all of us, it's the power of what God has done in our lives. And that's what's going to make the biggest difference in people's lives. It's like, I don't know everything about them, but man, I was lost, and now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace, right? So I could say, you know, God called me to move to Wyoming. I believe he did. He called me to move my business there. He called me to move my family there and to set up shop. He called me to plant a church. Didn't know that when I moved there. Kind of hoping he wasn't going to because it's hard. It's hard work from the ground up. And that's the last four years. And I can look on it and just go, all right, Whew. made it through that. I did God's calling. I was called to be a youth pastor, called to speak at you and been called to do different things. You know what I'm starting to think about already? Ah, shoot, what's next? Because my prayer is God's not done with me. Yeah, it's, it's hard work. Absolutely. But God doesn't just call us once. I mean, you look at Peter's call, right? It's over and over. You know, I'll call, I'll be a fisherman. Well, I'll call, why don't you? Now you've got to feed my sheep, and now you've got to preach my sermon, and now you've got to do all these things. And we can look and just go, well, God called me to be a good father. Totally true. Totally true. Yeah, you got to minister to your kids. Absolutely. But we can use that excuse and then just be our own family unit over here. And you got neighbors without Jesus and you got coworkers without Jesus. And guess what? God may be calling you to them too. Because the fate of the world lies in the hands of us. You know, when I'm in Wyoming in the fall, it's an interesting time in the fall because everybody goes out hunting. It's hard to make guns in the fall. Nobody comes to work, so you're out hunting. Hey, could I get PTO? No, somebody's got to show up. And in the fall, it's just funny, man. It's, uh, it's a different world out there. Everybody's got these orange hats on. I mean, it's, we're, we're rednecks. We're just totally rednecks. The guy got a 99 Dodge flatbed 24-valve Cummins. It's two tones of teal. Like, it's the ugliest thing you've ever seen. I'm a redneck out there, right? And uh, in the fall... Kind of, you just never know when you're going to go hunting or get invited somewhere or whatever. So in the fall, like in our vehicles, we got guns and hunting licenses and the back seats filled up with camo and muck boots when it's muddy and your hiking boots and your binos and your spotting scope and your knives and your game bags. You just leave them in your truck for three months because you got to be ready. Last Friday, we go Friday, I was on the way home from work and popped out to some properties. I was in like my jeans and whatnot, and I just tagged a turkey on the way home, filled the turkey tag. <laughs> you just never know. You gotta be ready. It's Wyoming, it's a tough life. Somebody's gotta do it. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes God calls us things and some of us get caught so off guard, we're, we're not ready. I wanna live my life, my truck just loaded up, ready, what God's called me to do, and I'm gonna talk about hunting. I'm talking about like that opportunity when I was going to that men's event or whatever the different opportunities are God's put in my life. Because the fate of mere mortals is 
in our hands. That's my last challenge to you this weekend. We can focus a lot on ourselves. And here's the deal. I think a lot of you think, well, I got to get super, super cleaned up before I'm going to be used by God. No. No. He uses a wretch like me. He can use you. That's what Paul says. He says, I'm the foremost sinner of them all. He went around killing Christians. Wrote half the doggone New Testament. Peter denied Christ, preaches the first sermon. Movements were started by the five guys who sat around and prayed and started this little thing we call Hume Lake Christian Camps. Look around this many guys and I go, what movements are going to be started? What's God going to call us to do? I look at the young men, the boys in this room, and I think, man, those, those who grow up and really get this, like, what's God going to do? We could sit around and think, well, let's just shelter him. Let's go hide back. Let's get in a little true circle. Let's be like the ammo hoarders in the church world. Where we can go now. God's sending us out. He's calling us out. So my prayer is that we'd leave here, we'd be ready for the call, ready for action, ready to be used by God. And as an old mentor of mine said, be ready at any time to preach, pray, or die. Let's pray. What a weekend. What a great time. What a great place. Thanks for those five dudes almost 80 years ago who followed your call to begin what we now know as Hume Lake Christian Camps, ministry even beyond this lake, <clears throat> other locations as we learned about this morning. Got to pray for your call in our lives. Pray for these men even as they leave here and are heading back down, just spend some time in the car this afternoon that maybe use it as an opportunity for them to just talk about what you might be calling them to do. God, we... Uh, Thank you for your goodness in our life as we've been singing about. We love you, Lord. All God's men said, amen. amen.